Our scripture passage for this morning comes from uh, the epistle 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 5 through 17. Before we get to that, though, I want to just kind of share a word with you this morning. Uh, literally, I want to share a word. That word is that is not Klingon. That is my terrible attempt at Welsh. But I wanted to share this with you, this inspirational word, because I asked the youth to come up with a word, a, you know, a word for their pastor, a word that would inspire them. So youth parents... This is my direction toward you. Because the youth found this word so inspirational, and I can understand why. Let me give you the literal translation, and you'll know why this word is so inspirational. St. Mary's Church in the hollow of White Hazel near a rapid whirlpool and the church of St. Tassilo near the Red Cave. Okay, that is the literal. I'm, I'm not joking. That's the literal definition of this uh, word, the longest word in Welsh, and it is a town. And so here's what I think. Uh, because the youth shared this inspirational word to me, I want to be a blessing to them as well. So parents, you help me, okay? When they're having trouble doing their homework, when they're not really getting around to their chores the way they should, when maybe their mouth gets a little smart, I want you to have them take this word and either write it out three times or recite it ten times. And when they start to say, but mom, but dad, you say, Pastor Tim said, you chose this word. This is the word of inspiration you gave to him. And that'll just stop all the arguments. And I feel like you youth are going to be inspired. I really do. Don't you agree, parents? Don't you agree? That's, that's going to be inspirational. So... I mean, it was to me as I was considering this word this morning. So, uh, And just by the way, some things you're not going to get, just go with it. Okay, just, just go with it. This is one of these just go with it kind of things. All right, uh, I, I would love, love to give that on Youth Sunday, by the way, which is going to come up in May, and that's going to be a great day, and you can look forward to that May the 1st. But now back to our previously scheduled message. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to be re reading verses 5 um, and onward. And if you would, please, if you're physically able, please stand in honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word. <laughs> okay. No music directors were harmed in the making of this service. <laughs> yeah. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only your servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose— and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you and we thank you, God, for the power of your word. We thank you for the ministry of the apostles and early church leaders like Paul and Apollos and Peter and, and all these others. And Father, we thank you for what they teach us um, about the church. God, we uh, pray that you take these teachings and, and put them deep into our hearts that they may change the way we look at life and the way that we live uh, in Christian community. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are a lot of good Christian organizations in the world. Uh, there are Christian hospitals. Uh, there, are, there are Christian, um, de, you know, denominations that kind of help churches. There are um, other organizations that are not churches, but they're Christian, and they kind of come along churches and, and help them. Um, and, and there's Christian organizations that feed the hungry. Uh, there's all kinds of great Christian organizations, and, and they're wonderful when they follow God's uh, uh, words and commands of how we should live, but ultimately, Jesus didn't promise that he was going to build word, world vision or build uh, the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination or build any other Christian organization. He said, I will build my church. The church is at the heart of God's plan for his people. The church is the bride of Christ. The, the church is what matters to God. It is his beloved people. And so as believers, as those who are part of that body, of the church, we should have a great understanding of what the church actually is. Because the church is not this beautiful building, the beautiful stained glass windows. It's not the property or location. It's God's people. But he uses a lot of different images, a lot of different pictures to teach us what the church is all about. And in this passage today, we get three different images or three different pictures of the church that the Apostle Paul uses. And I want us to just think about each of these for a little bit so we'll really know, get a better grip on what is this whole church thing that we take for granted, many of us, our whole lives, especially if we grew up in Christian families. We just know we should come and, and be together. But there's more to it. And so this morning, I want us to think about these, these pictures. The first picture of the church is a picture of the field. The church is a field. Now, uh, depending on um, 
I don't know, your, your relationship with uh, agriculture and gardening, you, you may have different views when you look at a field. I'm sure there's probably somebody out there looks at a field and says, oh, man, that great make for a great subdivision. Boy, you know, we could really develop that. And uh, somebody might say, uh, that's a lot of work. But some are going to look and, and say, wow, look at the produce. Look at, look at the crop. Look at the harvest that's coming. Corinthians had a problem. Uh, they had actually had lots of problems. That's why their, their letter was really long, and then they got another one, and scholars think Paul actually may have written one or two other letters that we didn't even get in the Bible. They, he had to kind of write them and write them and write them, and every once in a while it was a, you know, go get them, way to go, but most of the time it was like, well, you're not doing so well. Let me, let me tell you how it really is. And uh, they had a lot of problems, and one of them was they had a, a, a preacher problem or a, or a minister problem or apostle problem. Uh, not that they couldn't get one. I mean, they, they, in fact, they had an amazing source of, uh, of different uh, preachers and teachers, but they started aligning themselves around each one. Now, you know, it's kind of normal that folks have their favorite preacher. Sometimes, the, you know, I got my favorite TV preacher, whether it's Adrian Rogers or Charles Stanley or whoever it is. But, but then in the local church, people often had them, that was my favorite preacher, that pastor back there. Well, this church kind of had this issue to an extreme because they couldn't seem to appreciate anything that anybody else did if it wasn't their favorite preacher. And so they actually started forming preacher parties in the church. Like this one over here, we're the Paul party. We're Paul's people, you know. We, we are the Paul group. And then some others, then one who came in after him uh, was Apollos. And if you remember from the book of Acts, Apollos was this gifted speaker. And, um, and God was using him in mighty ways. He needed to learn a little bit more to go with this great speaking ability. Um, and, and so... We have this husband-wife team uh, that brings him in, and they just, they love on him, and they teach him, and he becomes an even more powerful speaker. And so there, there's, he comes in next after Paul, and he's got his own dynamic style. And so some people are like, yeah, Paul's a good theologian, but man, I'm an Apollos guy. I love the way Apollos does things, the way he speaks. I never slept through Apollos sermons, man. Sometimes Paul got a little deep. You know, I was drifting, but not with Apollo, so I'm an Apollos person. And then other people had come from uh, different places, and they came to Christ under Peter, or he was also known as Cephas. And so in the first chapter, it, it talks about there's some people saying, oh, I'm a Peter guy. Yeah, I'm part of the Peter group. You, he's, hey, he's the number one. You Paul and Apollos people, you're not really following the one. And then there were some others that came along, and they said, Paul, Apollos, Peter, I'm a Jesus guy, okay? I'm in the Jesus group, you know? Like, I'm better than all of y'all. Not, they didn't say it in this sense of, come on, we're all Jesus people. They're kind of like, you know, isn't it funny how we have, I'm not making fun of any denomination or any, but sometimes we have like the church of God or the assembly of God or the Christian church. And that's fine. Those names are fine, but Hopefully you don't think you're the only Christian church or you don't think you're the only church of God or the only assembled place of believers because these people really thought that like they're like we're the church of Jesus, you know. And, and so they had all these groups and they were all being silly and, and, and they were divided so much because of this stuff. And so um, Paul says, look, 
you need to get over all this stuff. He said, think of it this way. He said, you guys are the field, all right? You are the field where there, God wants to see fruit or God wants to see a harvest of good works, of righteous living, of spiritual growth. God wants to see it. And who are we? He said, me and Apollos, we don't own the field. We're not the landlord. We're not the property owner. The field does not belong to us. The field is God's. All we are is we're simply hired hands. We're laborers who each did our part in getting to the harvest. And Paul put it this way. He said, I planted. You know, I put the seeds in the ground. And then Apollos came along and he watered, you know. And, but it was God who gave the increase. In other words, we were the servants. We did the work we were supposed to do, but we weren't the masters. We, we weren't the ones who did the miracle of growth. We didn't cause this to grow. It was God who made it grow. And so it was so important. Paul wanted them to understand, listen, no matter who it is that's your favorite, that's fine, that's great, that's awesome. But it's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about Apollos. It's all about God. He's the one who it's all about. And we should all be happy when, when God's team is doing well. I was reminded of that last night when I was uh, watching the Final Four. And, and here's this game with Duke and UNC. And, you know, neither one of these is necessarily my team. Um, this could be considered North Carolina blue. I don't know. Just randomly put this on this morning. But, um, you know, I was watching this. And, it was it, man, the game was great. It came down to the wire. And uh, sometimes, you know, they got a, new, a fairly new coach there uh, at North Carolina, and they'd show him. But a lot of times they kept going up into the crowds, and they showed uh, the former coach, Roy Williams. And he was up there, and uh, he, was wearing his, he was wearing a mask, but, it, you know, it had the colors and everything. But he was kind of getting along. But the greatest thing I saw was that when the game was over and North Carolina had won the game, they flashed back to a picture of him. Dude, that mask was gone. And Roy Williams was like, yes! You know, he was so excited. And I thought, what a great picture. Because he could have been like, you know, why couldn't it have been me taking out Coach K in his last year and winning this game? Roy didn't care that the new coach was getting a credit. He just bleeds Carolina blue. He just wanted to see UNC take Duke out. And so he was thrilled because it was all about the team and not about the individual coach. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here. Hey, we're a field and it's the laborers each do their part. And yeah, God will reward them for, for, for what they've done according to what they've done. And that's great and everything. But but don't make too much of a big deal about the field workers. Make a big deal about the God who miraculously makes the plants grow. He's the one that brings the harvest. So the first picture is the field. The second picture we see is that of a building. The church is a building. Paul says this. He said, I came in as a... Uh, the word is hard, from the Greek is hard to translate. Sometimes it's translated as wise builder or master craftsman or whatever. But, but he says, look, basically, I was the first one on the scene. I was the foundation guy. I put the foundation there. And he said, look, I do have to say nobody else can put another foundation. Uh, not because I'm so great, but he said the foundation is Jesus. 
And you can't replace that foundation. That is the only foundation for a church is Jesus Christ. No one can lay another foundation, he says. But for all of those who come beyond me, who come after me, their job is to build upon that foundation and let this building grow and grow and grow. And, and, you know, he says, look, you know, we all know about churches being in uh, building projects. You know, the church, when you look at passages like this, we're in a never-ending building project. Isn't that something? It never ends. It's growing and growing and growing. And the foundation of Jesus Christ is broad enough, thick enough, wide enough, big enough for it to grow until God says, I'm returning. And so the job of those who are church leaders is to help build upon that foundation, to help take those individuals, those in the church and their gifts and their skills and their passions and their experiences and help them to fit in and be a part of the, of the building that's growing. And so he says, look, every person who comes in, uh, they're going to build. You know, every leader's going to build. Um, don't get so caught up in trying to judge right at this moment, though. Well, they're a good one. They're a bad one. They're a so-so. Paul says, you don't really know. You don't see everything from the outside. Only God really says, sees. And he says, on that day. And when Scripture says in the New Testament, that day, he's talking about the day of the Lord. The day that we all stand before the Lord. The day that he comes back. But in the meantime, we don't know. But he says, on that day... There's going to be a judgment. He talks about fire. Now, fire can be used as a different imagery in the Bible. Sometimes we think of the fire as punishment, and that, it is sometimes used that way. But other times, it's just used as a, a sense of refining and, and, and really going through and, and sorting, okay? And so Paul says, look, there's two options for builders. They can use, they're all going to build. Everybody who's a leader is going to build something Upon this foundation. But you can use wood, hay, and stubble, or you can use gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, here's where we get a little, a little bit uh, mixed from uh, regular construction. I mean, we, we don't literally build actual physical buildings from uh, gold, silver, and precious stone. Do we, Tommy? Uh, uh, no, I didn't think so. Uh, you know, e- even rich people don't build their house out of gold, okay? But the point here is not about the physical material to build a house. It's about what lasts and what doesn't. You see, it's very easy as a leader of a Christian organization. You can build a crowd. You can get people pumped up. You can, you can do all sorts of things. But the idea, Paul says, is really what matters are the things that last. Nothing wrong with getting people excited. We should be excited about Jesus. We should be excited about the church, about the call upon our lives, about heaven. So many things we should be excited about. But he says, listen, all of us need to understand that our lives and our service, and this is from the apostles on down, okay, to folks, average Joe Christian who doesn't even doesn't have a title or a committee or anything like that. All of us, though, we're building something in life. We're, we're trying to produce something, to build something. And there's going to be a day of evaluation. And the question is, did we spend our lives on trivial things or are we doing things that last? We have to make these decisions. All the time we make these decisions. I know many times I've gone down to the tire shop and I've said, hey, I need some new tires. And I say, well, 
are you going to sell this car soon? Are you going to be driving it for a while? I've had that question asked many times. And the reason is because they know, well, look, if you just need some new tires just so somebody will like it, I give you some 40,000 miles. They'll do the job. You can tell somebody you got new tires and it's okay. But is that the car your wife's about to be driving for the next five years? We're going to put top of the line. We're going to put some good stuff that's going to be safe and last and going to be great. And we have those kind of decisions to make in our life. Am I going to live as if in a get-by mode and I just go from one thing to the next? Or am I going to live in such a way that what I do, what I build for Jesus Christ, it's going to last. It's going to be there long term. Somebody told me a long time ago a statement I've never forgotten. And that statement is this. Nobody washes a rental car. Nobody washes a rental car. Now, I'm sure someone out there has done that, just to disprove the statement. But seriously, you don't. Do you put gas in your rental car? Absolutely, because they're going to charge you $20 a gallon when you get back if it's not filled up to where it was. But they don't have anything in the clause, any clause in there, any statement that says, hey, you got to have the car clean. And so I don't care how nasty that car is by the end of my trip. When I go to turn it back in, here it is. It's all yours. Now, why is it we don't wash it? Because we have no ownership. It's not ours. And so many people look at the church, they look at God's kingdom and his plans and his ways, and they see it as something separate from them. Like this is the church that has good services and they have good programs for my children and they're there for me when I need them. But it's they, 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 them, them, them. But when we get rid of that faulty attitude when we say, our church, when we say us, not those people did that, but we are doing this. When we take ownership is when we start to go the extra mile. We start to move from just getting by to things of eternity, things that are going to last. And so we need to understand this isn't a building, this isn't a spec house that you're just building to sell to somebody else. And, you know, this is a house you're going to live in. And as you live for Christ, as you help build this building called the church, take ownership because it is you, it's a part of you, and it's important because it's supposed to be for eternity. So a field, a building. And third and finally, the church is a temple. The church is a temple. Paul has a, uh, comes now to this, to this warning time here. I mean, first, he, he's kind of, he's all along been correcting. He's been saying, hey, don't have these attitudes about who's my favorite minister. And, and, and don't be just sloughing along, going, doing trivial stuff. Make sure you're doing stuff that lasts. But then he, he gives this illustration of the church as a temple. Now, this temple in this picture, uh, it's kind of how we might see one if we went to Rome or Greece today. It's in ruins. That's what archaeologists find. When they go somewhere, they find ruins, and they, they try to look through them and discover them. Well, God says, I don't let my church go to ruin. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here's the thing. He's talking about the church universal, the whole church, because we, we do know that individual branches of the church 
can be greatly harmed and, and their ministry uh, affected. And sometimes churches even, quote, go out of business. No, not the church universal, the bride of Christ, but that particular expression, that particular congregation. And the Lord is telling us how important the church is. And he says, don't mess with the church. Don't mess with the church. See, here in these verses, uh, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now, a lot of people read this and they mix it up with another time that, that Paul says, Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of God? And in that uh, other passage, he's talking about the fact that each of us have the living God, his spirit dwelling in us. All right. And so the body, your body is a temple. And, and we've talked before about how people take that now and they're like, yes, I go to Gold's Gym. My body is a temple, you know, and, 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 and they think, well, I will eat no carbs or, you know, I, I'm on keto diet because my body is the temple. Now, no, it's not about that. He was actually talking about sexually immoral behavior. He said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just go into a holy place and, and start flipping people off, or you wouldn't go in there and start yelling inappropriate things. Well, how dare you commit sexual immorality when your body is the temple of God and you're dragging the Spirit of God into your immoral behavior? That was Paul's point in that other passage. And sometimes people read this one, they, they automatically think the same thing. They think it's talking about an individual person's body. But Paul's talking about something different here. In fact, it doesn't show up in, in regular English translations most of the time because regular English translations, unfortunately, are not Southern. See, if they were Southern, they would say, y'all are the temple of God, because that's exactly what he's saying here. It is a plural you that he's using when he says, you are God's temple. It's you all, y'all, all the bunch of you. The church is the temple of God. Just as us as Christians, we are individually can be seen as the temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. There is also a special sense in which the, when the church is gathered, when it comes together, the Spirit of God is not only in each individual Christian, but it's in the midst. It is among, working actively among us, the Spirit of God, to draw us closer to Christ and to do His work. All right, so this is, he says, y'all are a temple. And remember, he's telling this to people in the early church who didn't have a nice, pretty building like this. They were just meeting in folks' homes. Come on down to the den. It's kind of tight, but hey, this is what we have for now. Their house certainly didn't look anything like what we would consider a church or a temple. But he said, in spiritual reality, you, the gathered Christians, the body of Christ, you are God's temple. You are his holy and sacred place. Jesus referenced that when he said, when two or more gathered in my name, there I am among them. So when the church is God's sacred place, that tells us to be real serious about how we treat the church. Now, again, I'm not talking about superficial stuff. I'm not saying let's fuss at that five-year-old because he ran down the aisle. Don't you ever do that again. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about us who are adults, who should know how to behave, who should live right, that we treat people well. We treat the body of Christ in the right way. And he says, it is the temple, and God will destroy those who destroy his temple. Those are some sobering words. But think about the Old Testament. There's some stuff that God's previous behavior backs that up. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? Remember that fellow who said, I'm going to reach out and grab it? And God said, no, no, no. And they already weren't carrying it the way they were supposed to. And God said, see ya. That was it for him. I mean, there was some pretty, there was some ways that God said, I'm real serious about my holiness and my presence. Well, now we don't have a temple. There's no more temple in Jerusalem. Not a physical one. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. We we don't have the cherubim covered in gold. We don't have all that physical stuff. But God is making a point here that I am just as serious about my holiness as I ever was. And what I am serious about are my people. Not a building, not a box, uh, not some relic. I'm serious about my people who are gathered in my name and how they treat one another. In fact, as you read through the letters of Paul and the other, the other epistles that were written by the apostles, they really take more seriously those who would cause division and hardship and strife in a church more than anything else. You know, something, uh, <clears throat> of course, I, I can't preach today and not mention the Oscars. I mean, we're, we're at the Sunday afterward. I got to mention it. But I'll just say I'm not going to give you my opinion other than to say one thing that was interesting was you, you, you might have read about this that afterward Denzel took Will Smith aside and he said something, babe, I'm not quoting verbatim, but basically to the effect of, hey, when you're at your highest point, your greatest point, that's when the devil slips in. And we can forget all about that crazy situation and all of our opinions about it. And we can say, what Denzel said had a lot of truth. It's when we're not looking. It's when we're thinking that everything's great and when we're thinking we're fine and we're invincible and we're at the top of our game. What does the Bible say in other places? Be careful lest you fall. Pride cometh before a fall. We've always got to have this sense of humility about us, that if there is peace and if there is goodness, we need to thank God for it. If we're proud of it, it only should be in the sense of we're proud of our God and what he's done because we're just the laborers. We didn't didn't make this happen. God made the growth. And we've got to be at that point where we say God takes this thing called church seriously, so seriously. In fact, he says, if you mess with my church, I'm going to mess with you. And once again, Paul was giving those words for everybody from him and Apollos all the way down. Whoever we do, our goal should always be to build, encourage, stir up, nurture the church, build the church, grow the church, but never to divide, never to take away from Jesus and his work. Because the church is God's temple. And it doesn't matter if you're in a traditional building or you're in a storefront or if you're meeting in an apartment building or in someone's home. The church is the temple of God. 
You church, wow, 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 wow. It's been a ride. It's been an adventure. It's been an experience. Uh, along the way, there's been just so many, so many neat and special things. I remember um, coming, and I, I remember, I've told you before, Gary said, hey, this church needs, uh, needs somebody to come fill in. I said, really? Who are they? Well, Bershiba, Cumberland. Well, they're not Baptists, but they're good people. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. I guess I'll take your word, and I'll, I'll come, and I'll try them out, and I'll, I, I'll fill in those couple of Sundays. And coming into this place as a church, I, uh, I really felt a sense of God's love and kindness in a way that I really had never before sensed in a church. It was as if God was just tapping me on the shoulder saying, you're home. This is it. You're home. And all along the way, uh, you know, I remember after I'd preached here those two Sundays and thinking, I don't know what's, you know, that was, wow, that was interesting. But, you know, I'm a Baptist in South Mississippi and, and they're in North Mississippi and they're what kind of Presbyterian now? I don't even know. I, I've never heard of it before. I'll figure it out eventually, I guess. And PCA, no. PCUSA, no. Okay. Are there any other kinds? You know, I, I was very ignorant uh, of, of the fact that there were Cumberlands out there. Um, I, I remember sensing God bringing me along here and, and uh I'm thinking, I don't know. I know y'all have never fought God before. You've never run from him before. But I remember meeting with the committee, and I thought, eh, this ain't going to happen. I'm going to tell them. I got some young kids. I'm going to be gone seeing those kids. I'm going to be down in, in Laurel all the time. I'm going to be going to ball games, this and that and the other. And I laid out all these lists of things. I thought, yeah, they're going to turn me down. And then, God, I don't have to disobey you because they're going to turn me down and it's going to be all right. And I said this and this and this and this. And they said, okay, you're the one that God called. All right. <laughs> That's not fair, God. <laughs> and you guys have been such a blessing um, over and over and over again. And um, for the rest of my life, when I think about what a church should be and what a church should look like, it will be your image. It will be your picture that I have in mind. I, I won't always be face-to-face, but it will be kind of like that COVID time, you know, when we made lots of blow-up pictures and we put them all in the pews. And, and, and you weren't here, but you were in my mind because I was looking. In fact, a couple of you had to move. You were in the wrong pew, and I had to move your picture to another place because it's throwing me off, you know. Um, I love you, church. And I truly believe God has so many amazing things ahead just like he did with those folks who some of them were all about Peter and some of them were all about Paul and some of them were all about the apostle. And Paul reminded none of that matters. God is what it's all about. We get the privilege for a season of time to be together and to, to share in a wonderful journey. And we'll be apart for a little while, but then we'll be together again.
And we'll celebrate all that God's done in his church. Would you bow with me? Father God, I love you for so many reasons. And your word tells me that, that we love you because you first loved us. God, you poured out your love on me, and you've done so throughout my life. And one of the greatest ways is through this church, and I thank you for them. And I pray your blessing upon them. God, I pray that, um, that you would just continue to work as you have for well over 150 years. And God, I know you're going to continue to work and glorify yourself and heal families and draw sinners to you and restore lives until the day that you come again. Keep on keeping on blessing these wonderful folks, God. And Lord, um, God, just bless this time. Whatever, whatever needs to be done physically or just in hearts, whatever you need to do right now, Lord, you, you do this, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.